Last Monday, I received a, an email from Jeff Holcomb. And Jeff Holcomb was reminding me that I was to preach in chapel on Wednesday. That was supposed to have been put in my calendar. It was not. So I found out what I was supposed to be preaching on, and it was supposed to be James, the brother of Jesus. So I said to him, well, I, I think there were some days that were skipped in your New Testament characters. Uh, can you send me a list of men? Maybe that I could pick up one. And, and he sent me a list, and I said, is there anyone that you would have a preference or thing you would want me to do? And he gave me his preference. And so I went to work preparing a message for the chapel, for kindergarten through third grade, fourth through sixth grade, and seventh through twelfth. The person I was, that was selected and which I chose to do was Judas. And so I'd like for us to consider Judas again this evening. And for you students, I trust this will be a helpful reminder of some of the matters that we discussed and somewhat additional information as well. Some people are known for their jobs. George Washington, first president of the United States. Matthew, tax gatherer. Some people are known because of their family name, the Kennedys, the Rockefellers, or James and John, sons of Zebedee. Some are known for their ethnicity or for their hometown. Uh, Goliath the Philistine of Gath. Simon the Canaanite. Some are known for their character traits. If I said honest Abe, the students all knew I was talking about Abraham Lincoln. If I said an Israelite in whom there is no guile, Nathaniel. And then those two very gentle brothers, James and John, sons of thunder. Not your general softies calling down fire from heaven on cities. Some people are known for their discoveries. Nicholas Copernicus, the earth goes around the sun. Isaac Newton, the theory of gravity. Christopher Columbus, the Americas. Simon Peter, for his rock-like confession. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And therefore, Jesus said, Your name shall be Peter, for on this rock I will build my church. What about Judas? Judas Iscariot. First of all, then, the identity of Judas. We don't know a lot about Judas, but one thing we know about Judas is that his father's name was Simon. For in John's Gospel, in several places, chapter 6, chapter 13, it says Simon Iscariot, his father. He's always uh, described, or often described, as Judas Iscariot. The, the word Iscariot uh, is very uh, difficult to know exactly what it means. It may be reference to a place. It may be reference to a, a word that is related to a word which is like a dagger, and it may have something to do with his being constantly associated with uh, Judas the Zealot, Simon the Zealot. Maybe he had that zealot-like spirit of that age. We don't really, really don't know what Iscariot means. In Mark chapter 3, in, in Matthew chapter 10, Luke chapter 6, where we have those lists of the apostles, Judas is always listed, and he's always listed among the twelve. He is one of the twelve apostles. We read in Matthew chapter 10, in verse 1, And when Jesus had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases. And then he lists the names, and the last one is Judas Iscariot. He was one of the twelve disciples. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 16, those twelve disciples are, excuse me, are called uh, apostles. They're named apostles. So when it was day, Jesus called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve whom he named 
apostles, sent ones. And so he was specifically chosen. We read in John 6, 70 that Jesus specifically says, I, I chose the twelve, and one of those was Judas, being one of the twelve. He was appointed by Jesus to perform miracles. He was among the twelve, as I just read, that, that might be with him, that they might send him out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses. His twelve disciples, he, to them he gave power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases. Judas was among those who preached the word of God. Jesus, Judas was among those who healed those with diseases, who, who, who was involved in casting out demons. Judas was with, with Jesus long enough to hear him teach, to hear many of his great sermons, watched him perform great miracles, In John chapter 6, and verse 60, we read some interesting words about a time in Jesus' ministry when he spoke what were called hard things, hard sayings. Who can understand them? And when Jesus says, I know that, that the, he knew that the disciples complained about this, he asked, does this offend you? Peter responds for the group, as he often did, saying, Lord, to whom shall we go? Well, it says that many that stopped following him at that point in time. And so he turns to the twelve and says, will you go also? And, and, and Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus answered this way, did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. So Judas was among those who heard these hard words, and when many turned away, Judas didn't. He stayed with Jesus. He continued to follow with Jesus, even after these hard words. And so Judas was one of the twelve apostles. But Judas is most known as a traitor. His, his name rarely appears. Matter of fact, I don't think it appears anywhere in the gospel records, except that very close at hand, it says, who also betrayed him or who would betray him. Luke alone uses the word traitor. Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. As I read in John 6 and verse 70, Jesus knew he was going to betray him and even said this was, he was like a devil. That's what we know about who Judas is, his identity. He was known and has been forever known as a traitor. Matter of fact, when I did... Uh, Synonyms for traitor, among them is Judas. Judas is the quintessential traitor. He is the one that is the very great picture, the, the perfect picture, if you will, of one who is a traitor. But let's follow Judas, Judas on a journey. Let's journey with Judas as my second point, having identified who he is. Let's come secondly to journey with Judas. And we begin our journey in Bethany. So if you turn with me to John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, 1 through 8 John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Judas is in Bethany with Jesus six days before the Passover. John 12, beginning at verse 1. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a litre of perfume of very costly pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. 
and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was going to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to take from what was put into it. Therefore, Jesus said, let her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. From this passage, it becomes very clear that Judas was a thief. Judas is there in Bethany, and it's quite a contrast if you, if you think about it, because there in Bethany is one of those living monuments to the power of Jesus Christ. His friend Lazarus, that he had raised from the dead, is sitting there at the table. Judas is there with these dear friends of Jesus, along with the other disciples. Martha is there doing what Martha does, serving. And Mary, who was the one who earlier, or excuse me, the earlier had sat at Jesus' feet, now comes with a box of perfume, breaks it over his feet, pours it out on his feet, this fragrant oil, so that her devotion is, is shown by this costly sacrifice that she's making to Jesus. Here's Mary. Mary, the friend of Jesus, wants to show her love to her friend. And so, in the process, makes this sacrifice and shows her devotion. And if you'll notice, it's something which everybody in the house knew. It wasn't just because you happened to be sitting next to her to see this happening, but this was done in such a way that the fragrance filled the whole house. Everybody knew what Mary had done. Judas, being the large-hearted individual that he is, or he was, says, wait a minute, there are poor people. We could do good things with this money. We could buy clothes. We could send orphans to school. We could buy food. We could help these poor people. And it's all a show. Because he's got the money box, and the money comes into the box, and he then gets to use that for some of his own personal pur purposes. It says he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take it, take what was put in it. Now, you know, I, I just, at this point in time, I kind of start doing a little bit of uh, what I hope is holy or sanctified imagination. How would Judas have come to this point? Now, maybe he was a thief all his life. Maybe he stole as a kid. Maybe he was a, a, you know, a, a kleptomaniac and always stole things. Maybe that's just who he is. But, but maybe he's just the guy that is honored by Jesus because he's the treasurer. You don't give the position of treasurer to somebody that's not trusted. So he had earned this treasured, this, this honored position. So he's the treasurer. He's got the money box. And maybe it was just he was short money one week. And so he took a little bit out to help make it ends meet. And, and, and then he paid it back. But nobody noticed. So the next time he takes a little bit more out. And, well, you know, he wasn't quite so fastidious about paying it back. Or, you know, and, and maybe it just kind of grew over time to the point where he's saying, I could use 300 denarii. But whatever the case, however he came to be the thief that he was, whether it was something that was slow over time or whether it was something that was just uh, been in his, in his pattern and he had hidden it from the disciples and from Jesus, he now is a thief and he wants to steal from the money. Judas is a thief. But let's move a few days up to the two days before the Passover. Turn with me to uh, Mark, excuse me, Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, we read, And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, 
A woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why was this, why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much more and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, now remember, these are all the disciples now saying these kinds of things. Maybe they picked up something from Judas in his last uh, incident similar to this, but they're all saying the same thing. He says, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, Wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be told as a memorial to her. Now, this is amazing because, you know, the fact of the matter is we don't even know the woman's name. And yet this devotion that she showed to the Lord Jesus Christ is set forth here, and she is going to be remembered wherever this gospel is preached. It was, it was preserved in the gospels that we might see this woman's devotion and be challenged by it. But we read on in verse 14. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him, meaning Jesus, to you? And they counted out to him thirty pieces of silver. So from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. We read in Mark's account that they promised to give him money, so he sought out how he might conveniently betray him. Judas loved money. So much that he was willing even to plan the arrest of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one whom he'd been following, the one whom he'd been laboring for, the one under whose uh, umbrella he had been working. And he went and prepared a plan that he might sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Now, 30 pieces of silver is in the scriptures talked about as the price of a slave. It, it's, it's neither a, a, a small bit, though if you counted in some money, it's not a whole lot, or, it's, or it could be actually something fairly substantial, enough at least to purchase a, a, a field. And, and so these 30 pieces of silver become the price that he's willing to work for in order, and, and, and even to the point of selling Jesus. That's how much he loved the money. But you know, love of money doesn't necessarily make somebody very courageous, Matter of fact, uh, he was really in somewhat something of a, of a coward, for he, he sought, he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. He knew the Pharisees were afraid, but he seems as well to say, you know, I don't want a whole lot of people around when this happens. I want to find a good place for this to take place. Judas Iscariot, the one who would betray him, was a thief, was a lover of money even to the point of being willing to sell his master for 30 pieces of silver. And it took work. He had to prepare for that. Well, let's follow him another few days along. Now we're in Jerusalem, in the upper room, celebrating the Passover. So now we're at John 13. So if you turn with me to John 13. And we read something else of, of Judas's character here in John 13. We read at the outset of this chapter. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, meaning he, he was going to be crucified and buried and raised again, got up from supper and laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around himself. Then he poured out water into the wash basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he had tied around himself. And he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, 
That is, Simon said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not realize now, but you will understand afterwards. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet, ever. I love Peter. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and, and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you, should, that you also should do as I do to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, for nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I do not speak about all of you. I know the ones I have chosen, but, the scripture, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. From now on, I am telling you before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives anyone I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. There, there, there are very few passages in the ministry of Jesus that are more touching than this one, where he sits down with his disciples and displays to them this, this loving attitude of a, of, a, of a servant willing to take the most menial task and wash the disciples' feet. And to do it in such a way that he would show them what it means to, to serve others. And set that example before them. But in the midst of it, he says, I know that you're not all clean, because he knew that Judas was sitting there too. And he, watched, and he washed Judas's feet. Then in verse 21, we read this. When Jesus had said these things, he became troubled in spirit and bore witness and said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. The heart of the, of the, of the Lord is, is, is stirred. He's, he's filled with love and compassion to serve his, his disciples, to manifest the spirit of a, of a humble servant. And he's there in their midst to do this. And yet, in the midst of all of that, he, he's, he's troubled because he knows one of these is going to betray him. The disciples began looking at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke now let's break in here at this point in time and, and, and go to, to another passage here because there's some helpful words to be found in Matthew chapter 26. So keep your finger there in, in John chapter 13 and go with me to Matthew chapter 26. For here again we find ourselves in the upper room. Matthew 26 beginning at verse 21. As they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. Being deeply grieved, they each one began to say to him, Surely not I, Lord. And he answered, He who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. The Son of Man is to go just as it is written of him. But woe to that man whom the Son of Man, by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be good for that man if he had not been born. And I don't know if you can read the next words without trembling. But Judas, in the very face of the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who knew men's hearts so that he did not give himself to them, even as we read this morning. This one who went about doing good, this one who spoke like no man spoke with words of grace upon his lips, this one who had shown such love and such compassion by getting down and washing the feet of his disciples, including Judas. And has pointed out the, the danger that one of them in their midst is presently facing because he is in danger of being a traitor to the Lord of glory. And we read the words, and Judas, 
who was betraying him because he'd already gone to the high priests. He'd already made his plans. He'd already received some money. He was already promised that he would give him over to them and they would pay him for this. Surely it is not I, Rabbi. All the disciples asked the same question, including Judas. What a hypocrite. He's not only a thief, he's a deceiver. And he's good at it. Because I can still remember Pastor Martin saying, and nobody said, it's Judas, isn't it? Nobody said, you know, Judas, when we went out to preach, he always kind of stumbled over those words about Jesus' kingdom coming and submitting to, you know, he always kind of stuttered at that point. Did you ever notice that? Or when they went out and they healed others and cast out demons, did you ever notice that Judas kind of stayed in the back and never did anything? None of that happened. He was there with all the rest of them. And all the privileges and all the responsibilities and all the abilities that they had. And he was there in their midst. And now when Jesus is showing his love and his servant attitude to his disciples. Judas enters in with them. With the same question. And then we learn something else about this hypocrisy. This hypocrisy and this willingness to sell Jesus is very devilish. I already read those words in John chapter 6 where Jesus says, one of you is a slanderer, one of you is a devil. I, he knew that. And we read in John chapter 13 in verse 2 that the devil had already put it into Judas Iscariot's heart to betray him. But now if you look down just a few verses later, verse 27, we read, And after the piece of bread that Jesus gave to him, Satan then entered into him. Therefore Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. And even then, they still don't know what he's going. They still haven't figured out why he's going. Maybe he's going to buy some food. Maybe he's going to help the poor. He's going to do something with, the, with money or something. Nobody knows. He's a hypocrite. He's a hypocrite who is, who is devilish in his very behavior, whom the devil has put thoughts into his mind as to how he can go about betraying Jesus. And actually, we read that Satan entered Judas. And that's not all. For we then come to Gethsemane. In, John, in Matthew chapter 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, and John 18. But it's in Matthew, Matthew's gospel where we read Matthew 26, 47 to 50. And while Jesus was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve. There it is, one of the twelve with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the elders of the people, now his betrayer. See, you can't get very far before you have to throw that in for Judas, because that's who he is. That's what he's known for. That's how he is remembered. His betrayer had given them a sign, whomever I kiss, he is the one, sees him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And kissed him. Oh, and then the grace of Jesus. <laughs> Even at the point at which the betrayal is taking place, Jesus' response, Friend, why have you come? Sound a little bit like the garden? <laughs> come on. Confess. Now's your chance. Now's an opportunity for you to, to change your ways. No, but not Judas. Judas. Not Judas. Even all the way into Gethsemane, 
playing the part, playing the disciple, pretending to be one of them. But there's more. There's one one last stop on this journey. We go to the temple, Matthew chapter 27. And when Judas, who had betrayed him, verse 3, saw that he had been condemned, that is, that Jesus had been condemned, he felt remorse. Now, if you have some Bibles, it says he repented. The word is not repent. The word is not he forsook his sin and sought to be done with it. The word is is remorse, grief, despair. Uh, he's despondent. He, he's, he's sorrowful. But, but it's, not, it's not repentance. And he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests of the elders. This is so typical of, of, of men, isn't it? They, they, they do something, their conscience bothers them, and then they said, well, I've got to do something as the opposite of that to try to make up for it. So he goes through this Practice just throwing the silver back into the temple, saying, I have sinned by trespassing against innocent blood. Trying to do something for his conscience, but there is no possibility of doing anything for his conscience. The grief has won over his soul. The despondency has gotten a hold of him. The darkness has him in its grip to the point where he then goes out and hangs himself. And very likely from the book of Acts, it's a horrible graphic picture where the rope probably broke and he his fell and he just he broke open. Hypocrite can't even live with himself anymore. And I'm just going to make a little side comment here away from Judas because I can, and because every time I read it, I shake. He tells them, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood and the priests who are supposed to be there as the spiritual leaders to help the people of God, the priests who are there to take the sacrifices and receive them and receive the people and and go through those actions that, that lead to their being cleansed from their sins before God, according to the, to the practices of the old covenant, the priests, the chief priests who are supposed to be the ones who help the people of God, say to Judas, what is that to us? What is that to us? I don't know who's worse. But Judas is the focus Hearing those words with no comfort whatsoever. Hearing all that he had. Knowing what he had done. Ended his life. What can we learn from Judas? I'm going to use an outline from a brief sermon by Sinclair Ferguson uh, to frame some of this, a slightly adapted outline that he used to get these applications. And the first point that he had in his message was Judas was an apostle who became an apostate. And my first application then goes along the lines of what privileges have you had and have you wasted them? You see, as an apostle, and describing him as an apostle means that he had all kinds of opportunities. He had all kinds of knowledge of Jesus. Jesus had spoken in his very presence. Jesus had done miracles in his presence. Jesus had made it plain that he was the Son of God. Judas had heard Peter say... You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, Pete, and Jesus responding to him saying, The Father has revealed this unto you. This is, this is a privilege, Peter. And yet Judas heard that. And being the devilish man that he was, he did nothing with that. Judas had 
warnings set before him. One of you is going to betray me. It would be better that he was never born. Judas heard those words. <clears throat> performed miracles. And all those privileges went to waste because he did not have the faith that Peter had. Simon called Peter with a Peter-like, rock-like faith. Judas did not believe. Not in that way. Judas, who saw the devotion of these women with their expensive ointments and expensive oils in order to, to honor Jesus in their homes. He saw that, and he didn't, didn't mean anything to him. What privileges have you had? What preaching have you heard? What conferences have you gone to? What sermons have you sat under from this pulpit and some men from the past with unusual gift anointed by the Spirit of God to proclaim the Word of God to us? And you heard it. Maybe you've served in various outreaches in the church. Maybe you've gone out preaching on the streets, handing out tracts. Maybe you've taught in Sunday school. Maybe you've been at VBS. Maybe you've been in Helping Hands. What have you done? You've served and you've done your work. You pray in prayer meetings. You sing on the Lord's Day. Every God-given talent that you have received. The ability to think clearly. You're not a gathering demoniac. You're sitting at Jesus' feet with a sound mind, able to think and understand and comprehend. You're able to articulate truths. But there's a great difference between gifts and grace. Don't be like Judas who takes all of those privileges and does nothing with them. You don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. And when I preached this to the young people, I said, some of you are going to face temptations like you've never faced before when you get out of your home and you're in, you're in school. Or you get through school, maybe you stay at home during school, but then you get out and you get your first job. And there's going to be a whole world of things open up to you that you've never faced before. Not in the degree and not in the ways that you're going to face it. And what are you going to do with all that privilege that's been yours all those years? And what about for the rest of us who sat in the pews? Collected books. What are we doing with all those privileges? Are we pressing forward? Striving to have that strong, rock-like faith? That sacrificial devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ, willing to give up our precious time for the service of Christ and His church. Not just to fill a place, but because we love Jesus Christ. The apostle became an apostate because he had, did not have that faith and did not have that devotion. The treasurer became a traitor. And one that had that honored position and had hold of that money became a traitor. And I said, we don't know if he always been a kleptomaniac or if it was something that, that came on him as he had the honored position. You know, it may be he never held a money box before and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, look at that. And these people keep giving to Jesus. And he keeps giving it away. I'm going to make something more out of that. I can invest that. What about your little sins? Maybe it's not stealing. Maybe it's a little sin of lying. What about those little sins in your life that you're not willing to deal with? That anger that you don't really want to control. The little sins, quote unquote. 
take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay, to quote another preacher of long ago. I mean, that's what happened with David, right? It just started by a look. Led to lust, led to adultery, led to murder. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Yes, it is true that there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man, and God will make a way of escape. He's a faithful God who will do that and make a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. But brethren, we must take heed lest we fall. None of us can say, it's him, it's her. Is it I? When lawlessness increases, the love of the many will grow cold. Such a devotion to Jesus Christ, you wouldn't miss a service for the life of you because you wanted to be there when Jesus met with his people. You wanted to be fed from the word. You wanted to offer up your praises to God. And you couldn't, you couldn't give enough of your mind and heart and soul in the singing of the word of God. Being with the people of God, they were the beautiful ones in the earth. And there was that deep and passionate love, but as lawlessness abounds, that love can easily grow cold. Watch over your heart with all diligence, Solomon said, for out of it are the issues of life. Deal with those little sins, brethren. Don't leave them, whatever they might be, wherever they might be found. And maybe that's just the heart sins. I'll never forget Elaine Hiller. I hope I never forget her. Godly woman. Been a Christian longer than I was alive when I met her. And I'd preach up here and I'd say something. And I'd say, now for you with a real sensitive conscience. And I'm thinking, I didn't want to say her name, but I almost, Elaine. And you know who met me at the door with the, with the most convicted look on her face? You got me, Pastor. That heart... There's that hate I saw in my heart. There's that ugliness of covetousness I saw in my heart. There's that, that unwillingness to obey in my heart. And she, she, was, she was always doing that to me. And I'd have to hang, I kind of want to hang my head. But then I would say, that's, but that's godliness, brethren. It's not just enough that I want to take care of the outward sins. I want to deal with the little heart sins. So when the temptation, when the opportunity for sin comes along, I don't even notice it. That's called mortification. The point where it's not even there to be attracted. And especially, brethren, in our days, especially love of the world and the things of the world. Don't be a Judas that loves the world and the things of the world. Do not love this world or the things of the world. The lust of the, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Did you get that? Is not in him. And not only Judas, but Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And so, brethren, I just here tonight to, to challenge all of us in, in the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourself, test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? Put Judas in front of your face. Look him in the eyes. Me? That's what I had to do as I prepared this, setting at my desk. I don't think I've ever trembled so much in preparing a sermon. You see, if you go on in your hypocrisy and just pretending that you're okay and every, you want everybody to know you're, you're still one of us, you, just, you, just, you keep going on in that hypocrisy and you might just do what Paul says to Timothy about those who seared their conscience. Liars. They got so bad they lied to themselves so much they couldn't even tell when they were lying. You met people like that. Have you met people like that? They, they lie about things they don't even have to lie about. Because they breathe out lies. But brother, that could be us. And then the deceptive disciple who died in despair. 
An apostle who wasted all of those privileges. The treasurer who was more interested in this world than the things of Christ and the things of God was a deceptive disciple, a hypocrite who died in despair. Throwing the pieces of silver and he departed and went out and hanged himself. The book of Acts talks about him going to his own place, which probably is a reference to the fact that he went to hell. A guilty conscience is a horrible companion. There's an answer for a guilty conscience. For the hypocrite, for the liar, for the stealer, for the, for the adulterer, for the murderer. There's, there's, a, there's a, a, a fountain open for sin and uncleanness and Christ can cleanse those sins. My friends, suicide is no small matter. It's a frightening matter. Anyone who's been close to somebody who was in that place knows something of the frightening nature of that. If you're, if you're even thinking about, in the most general way, about suicide, let me, let me just urge you, recognize that that puts you in a very bad category according to the Bible. With Saul, who fell on his sword, Ahithophel, who when people didn't take his advice, went and hanged himself. Zimri, when he saw that everything was going to pot, burned himself to death in a tower in Judas. You don't want to be part of that group. Suicide is not a way out. It's a way in to the most horrible place you could ever imagine. Now, that doesn't mean that Christians can't commit suicide. But it's a horrible thing. And a very big question mark over a life because of those records that we have. But listen, listen, if you're, if you're thinking about this, young people, older people, if you have any thoughts about suicide, please, please speak to one of your elders. Speak to one of your pastors. Speak to your parents. Or speak to an older, mature Christian. I'm not talking about talking to one of your, your pals, your friends that are the same. He says, because if you tell one of your friends, or if somebody tells you that they're thinking about suicide, you know what your duty is? Tell their parents. Tell their pastors. It's, it's dangerous. You see, when this despair grips your soul, it darkens everything, and you can just lose sight of, real, of reality very easily. If you're feeling anything along those lines, I urge you, please, please, speak to us before it's too late. But finally, brethren, apostasy is just all too real, isn't it? We can think of faces, can't we? Sadly, there's pictures in the hallway and some of those faces don't bring happy memories. But be comforted in the face of apostasy. The Bible tells us such things happen, even to Jesus. Jesus said these things would happen. He told his disciples, we read in John 13 and verse 19, from now on I am telling you before it comes to pass, so when it does occur, you may believe that I am. When you see somebody fall away, and you're tempted to say, is it? Oh, man, it's not worth it. It's all a bunch. No, Jesus said that can happen. So turn to Christ when you see that happen. Draw closer to Jesus when you see that happen. I can't always explain to you why people turn away. And you may not have answers as to why people turn away. But there's an answer when that happens. Go to Christ. He said it would happen. It's part of living in this world. Jesus was not taken by surprise. It, it wasn't like, oh, I didn't even think about that. He says, I, I chose you and was one of you a devil. 
You see, see, Jesus was working out the plan of God and God's plan that was predetermined and the foreknowledge of God before, the, before time began was that Jesus would be betrayed. And God wasn't caught off guard because we read Old Testament prophecies about how Judas is going to do this. So it's not something to despair over when you see it happening in others. It's something to pray about, pray for them. And it's something to drive you to Jesus Christ and say, here is where I must stand. He will not change. Don't idolize men. So if they fall away, they don't take you with them. What are you known for? What do you want to be remembered for? A follower of Jesus with a Peter-like rock-like faith or a denier of Jesus? What do you want to be known for? A lover of Jesus, devoted to him, sacrificially giving to him in love for him, or a lover of the world? A Mary-like, wholehearted devotion, sacrificial devotion, or a Judas-like lover of the world? What do you want to be known for? A believing and repentant sinner like Peter who went out, wept bitterly and sought forgiveness and was restored? Or an unbelieving, despairing sinner with a guilty conscience and no hope? Oh, brethren, may God help us that we would be determined to have Peter-like faith, Mary-like devotion, and Peter-like repentance. And may we persevere to the end. I'm not here to depress you. We've got a Savior for sinners. We've got a Savior that goes in front of us that we can run to and find comfort in. If you're disturbed by looking at Judas, then get down on your knees and cry for mercy that you might see yourself accurately. If you're disturbed by hearing about Judas, then run to Jesus Christ and say, Oh God, deliver me from all love of the world and all hypocrisy and all wasting of the privileges you have so kindly given me. God, be merciful to me, the sinner, so that you may go home justified. Let's pray. Father in heaven, be gracious to write your word upon our hearts, to help us to learn from Judas. We plead with you that none in this place, I plead with you for myself, that none of us would be Judas-like, that none of us would turn back. O Lord, come in power and grace for the glory of your name. Amen.